The topic of uh, today's uh, Dhamma talk or tonight's Dhamma talk is uh, equanimity. And um, since most of you have uh, experienced uh, equanimity as part of uh, you know, the imperfections of insight, so there's uh, a certain familiarity and um, Based on this, it's worth exploring a number of other aspects concerning equanimity, and in particular, to give you some idea how this equanimity then can also be practiced in one's daily life. Now, now, to start uh, with the Dhammapada verse, namely verse uh, 81, where you know, the Buddha says in Pali, Selo yata ikaga no wati nana samirati, evam ninapasamsa su nasaminjanti pandita. So, uh, you might not understand the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> the meaning of this in English uh, is, uh, and I won't deprive you of the English meaning, <laughs> um, as a mountain of rock, and we've got plenty of mountains of rock around here, is unshaken by wind, so too the wise are unperturbed by blame or by praise. And so, so, a mountain of rock, um, like uh, the mountains we have around here, you know, they are not certainly affected, uh, not certainly influenced you know, by, you know, well, by the rain, by the wind, by you know, snow, and certainly by you know, the heat of uh, the sun. And so. As a meditator, we try to, we should try, or we could try to emulate such a mountain of rock. Now, to give you another illustration for equanimity, what equanimity is all about. Now, have you heard of uh, a toy by the name of uh, Tumbling Kelly or a Billiken? You know what this is? No? You have no idea? Oh. Well, these are English expressions. Uh, well, if I describe you'll, you, know, you'll surely know what it is. So, it's a small toy. And that uh, you know, has, uh, you know, well, narrow shape at the you know, at the top, so kind of like a cylindrical shape. And then at the bottom, it's kind of you know, like this, like a half moon. And uh, there's some heavy weight uh, in the bottom of it. And 
this tumbling galley usually it's decorated so it looks like like a human being and then you can push it over to one side and what will it do? Oh, it will bounce back. It will go right back to center. There you go. And when you you push it over to the other side, it will do what? It will fall over? It will not. It will again go back right to the center. And so... um, as a Vipassana meditator, we should be just like this tumbling Kelly or like Billiken. And so, so in the face of some desirable object that we don't get into great elation and in the face of some undesirable object, we don't end up sad or depressed. And even if there are a few moments of elation and sadness or so, very soon we'll find our center again and then we're pretty unaffected uh, by what's uh, happening. Now, a person who perfected this quality of uh, equanimity was uh, the Buddha to be. And so, he did this, uh, for instance, in his uh, uh, existence as uh, the ascetic or the hermit Sumedha. And uh, at one you know, point in time, and this is many, uh, well, many eons or many uh, years, no, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago, this Bodhisattva Sumedha admonished himself in the following way, namely, a pair of scales remains steady without tipping to one side or the other when poised by equal weights. Likewise, if you remain evenly balanced in mind when faced with happiness or suffering, you will attain the knowledge of the path and fruition and omniscience. And then you know, the you know, hermit Sumedha uh, uh, so admonished himself even further and so, uh, saying, Sumedha, this great earth shows no signs of love or hate towards all the things that are dumped upon it, whether they are clean or foul. Likewise, Sumedha, you should always remain composed or of an equable or equable in heart, not being affected either by love, by love or hate. Now, when you're accomplished in fulfilling the perfection of equanimity, you will attain the path and fruition and uh, omniscience. So, this is a passage that I found in Venerable Visita Chara Bhivamsa's book, The Chronicle of the Buddhas. And Satna Visada was a very famous Satna Burmisada. He was the first to master, to memorize almost all of the Tipitika. And so, for minimum of 40 volumes and so 
with this thing we have uh, another uh, illustration the first one uh, was the mountain of rock and uh, now the second one is uh, uh, the earth mother earth uh, that is uh, not uh, complaining now to give you a more recent uh, illustration for uh, a case of uh, equanimity. It so happened that on October 5th, 1989, His Holiness Satnya the Dalai Lama was just in the midst of a conference. And it was a very small and personal conference. Uh, that uh, uh, he was in together with a number of uh, you know, well uh, modern uh, scientists, and certainly uh, the conference was organized by the so-called uh, Mind and Life uh, Institute, an institute that uh, looks certainly uh, into uh, well um, uh, issues concerning the mind, concerning life in general, and uh, both from a Western as well as uh, Eastern uh, perspective. Now, the conference uh, participants uh, were uh, just uh, ready to, or were readying themselves uh, for the morning session when a telephone call came from Oslo, Norway. And the news was that His Holiness had just been appointed or just been selected to be the next Nobel Peace Prize winner. Now, upon this, His Holiness did not certainly display any major emotion. And uh, he just uh, well took this piece of news and went uh, on with business as usual, and the new conference uh, proceeded. But when it came to his uh, to the scientists who were attending this uh, conference, they were more or most of them were pretty emotionally pretty pretty agitated and of course you can imagine overjoyous uh, that uh, their fellow participant namely His Holiness the Dalai Lama had just been awarded uh, the Nobel Prize for Peace and so um, this uh, then brings across uh, another or particular aspect of uh, the equanimity uh, namely that in the face of blame and praise we remain balanced balanced uh, the mind remains unaffected unshaken unperturbed Now, equanimity is a quality that we need to develop during intensive practice and then also to take into our daily life. And 
there are eight certain conditions, worldly conditions, uh, that certain characterize certain our life uh, very much. And so, so we need to develop an equanimity towards um, all of those uh, eight worldly conditions. The eight worldly conditions in the Pali scriptural language are known as Atta Loka Dhamma. Dhamma, it's plural. And so, so anyway, they are uh, lava and alava, namely uh, gain and loss. So that's the first uh, pair of opposites. And uh, then the second pair of opposites uh, consists of honor, uh, fame, companionship uh, for one, in Pali given as yasa. And uh, the opposite is ayasa, which is then dishonor and uh, disgrace and uh, lack of uh, companionship. And Satna, the next pair is or consists of Ninda and Pasamsa. And in this pair, Ninda is blame and Pasamsa is praise. And the last pair consists of Satna, happiness, sukha, and Satna, suffering or yeah, suffering, uh, dukkha, suffering or uh, misery. Now, as certain human beings, we are exposed to you know, the vicissitudes of life, the ups and downs of life. So at times, we you know, um, are fortunate to you know, well you know, gain something, to you know, maybe you know, make a big you know, win in a you know, lottery, and so that at other times, you know, well, we might certainly you know, get certainly some, um, uh, well, a letter from the internal you know, revenue department saying uh, <laughs> that we owe you know, the government another 20,000 know, US dollars. <laughs> and you know, this then might be a somewhat unpleasant news. Now, the usual reaction, so let's say, you know, place yourself in the position of uh, you know, the lottery winner. And so, uh, you know, how would you respond to this? And you're not just gaining five dollars, but uh, <laughs> but more than this. Let's say fifty thousand. So you know, then, will you be overjoyed or not? Uh, most likely, at least, uh, at least this news of uh, the fifty thousand lottery you know, you know, win you know, will you know, well, you know, carve out a smile you know, from your face, <laughs> at the least. <laughs> but then, I suppose uh, that when you get that letter from the Internal Revenue Department. <laughs> Your face will not be driven into a smile, but rather into a rather sullen facial expression. Now, so this is just with regard to gain and loss of money. But we can also well gain fellow human beings, and we can lose fellow human beings. And so... Uh, so, um, 
when you know, this happens certainly again and again when we you know, become first time grandpa or you know, first time grandma then you know, we might be very happy about this but uh, uh, then uh, when we you know, hear of uh, you know, the you know, loss or the death of uh, you know, one of our you know, maybe family members or you know, dear you know, friend, you know, then this news uh, may affect us a lot. And certainness so, you know, of you know, this then you know, may in some cases even lead a person to shed many tears. So, in the face of you know, this pair of you know, opposites, uh, you know, the Buddha calls us to you know, develop uh, equanimity. Now, this is easily said and certainly difficult to do, I know. But that meditation you know, does help. Now, the second one is, uh, well, honor and dishonor, or you know, fame and certain disgrace and companionship versus non or lack of companionship. Now, um, whatever it certainly may be, we should remain just in a, we should remain centered, balanced, and not let this pair of opposites affects our mind. On one occasion, the Buddha himself, while he was dwelling at Kusambi, the Sangha, the monastics, community of monastics, got into a big quarrel. And over some small etiquettes regarding the outhouse, how to... <laughs> Where to put the ropes if I'm if I'm not mistaken? And anyways, so there were two groups who had different opposing opinions on this, and they just couldn't settle their their issue and contentious issue, and they would not even listen to the Buddha's advice. And so the Buddha tried to calm them down, but there was just no way to do so. And eventually the Buddha decided, okay, he would certainly retire to some quiet and secluded place. And he took his arms bowl and maybe an additional set of ropes, and he then went to some nearby forest and spent, so it's so it is said, a period of three months uh, all by himself and uh, now the, apparently there was an elephant who waited upon him and who took care of his uh, needs and even though you know, the Buddha was not in the company of uh, you know, the monastic community it did not affect his mind at all he used the time for practice for meditation practice and so uh, he was quite uh, um, quite happy about it the whole thing. So it's always a matter of how we make use of time if we have no friends for a while. Now, then in the case of blame and praise. Now, what do you think? Uh, is there anyone among us who um, who is totally free from blame? 
Have you, is there anyone who's gone through life uh, without uh, never having been blamed? Uh, Chris? No, not you. And Alan, what, what about you? You neither. Oh, no. So, um, we, can, we can go. And what about the Buddha? The Buddha being such a highly developed being, being who had gained omniscient knowledge, was he free from being blamed? He was not free from this either. And on one occasion, he was being accused of having well caused pregnancy in a woman who intentionally who was hired and then asked to intention or to hover around where the Buddha was dwelling so as to and create the impression that she you know, was his uh, you know, lover and so, uh, on a second occasion again some people who you know, were um, jealous of the Buddha you know, trying to you know, accuse, or, you know, accuse him of uh, having murdered uh, a person and so, of course, this was not the case, and the Buddha, in face, in the face of uh, you know, you know, both of these uh, accusations, remained entirely you know, detached and uh, centered and balanced. And so, Ananda, on uh, suggested you know, to you know, the Buddha you know, that he move on in his journey and just go somewhere else and the Buddha wouldn't certainly heed his advice and simply stay put and he retorted to Ananda that all of these all of these accusations would die down in seven days and this is indeed what happened now Sukha Dukkha is the fourth and last pair of opposites of worldly conditions and you must be very well familiar with them in your meditation practice. So having undergone plenty of physical Dukkha and also plenty of mental Dukkha coming in various you know, various kinds of uh, mental states and difficult mental states and but then on the other hand uh, also experiencing you know, some you know, uh, wholesome mental states and certain pleasant uh, bodily you know, sensations now our normal uh, reaction is um, that of getting elated when we come across certain some pleasant experiences and then getting somewhat or losing patience and the mind being on the low side when we come across certain difficult experiences. So, in the face of you know, these you know, four you know, pairs of opposites or eight worldly conditions, you know, we are called you know, to you know, remain equanimous. 
Venerable Masisad of Burma apparently has uh, mentioned, and if I'm not mistaken, it's even recorded in one of uh, his certain books entitled Loka Dhamma, namely the the Eight Worldly Conditions, where he says that the higher one rises in society, uh, the more one will be exposed to these worldly conditions. And the illustration that he uses is... um, uh, well, you know, the exposure to you know, wind and you know, the forces of uh, nature of a low tree are really relatively small. But the higher the tree is, the more it will be exposed you know, to you know, the forces of strong you know, winds, uh, you know, winds and gales, and certain uh, snow and so on. Now. In a general sense, equanimity, we can say, is a detached state of mind, and this state of mind, when practiced by a person, may create the impression as if the person, or may create the impression of disinterestedness or indifference, but this is not the case. And disinterestedness or um, lack of interest or indifference are actually prompted by ignorance and uh, also by well, ignorance or to put it differently, uh, a lack of understanding. And they are said, according to the Dhammasangani, to be false manifestations of loving kindness. Now, or equanimity is an intelligent way of responding to the ups and downs of life and making good use of mindfulness and clear comprehension. And certainly when equanimity is present in one's stream of consciousness, then one is no longer well bent up or bent down by aversion or flattery. Now, to gain a better understanding of equanimity, let us look at some synonyms. And there are actually quite a number of them around. So, instead of equanimity, we can say detachment. We can also use the word equipoise. And can you think of other terms that would be, other synonymous terms that would be relevant? Balance. Balance, yes, it's correct. Balance of mind, and what else? Centered. Y- yes, centeredness, correct. And what next? 
Well, what about uh, uh, neutrality? Neutrality of mind. And then, uh, neutrality of mind versus people uh, is known by which name? Or by which word? Well, there's partiality, and then we have impartiality. And so, uh, then, as uh, mentioned during the, you know, the interviews once in a while, you know, there's uh, you know, the non-reactivity of uh, you know, the mind. So, the mind not responding you know, to you know, pleasant or desirable or undesirable you know, objects. And so, you know, then you know, also we can you know, call it the unshakability of uh, the mind. Now, literally, you know, the term, one of the Pali terms for you know, equanimity is tatra majatata, and this term means you know, the state there in the middle. And so, you know, um, so uh, wait a minute, Shui uh, Zan Aung. As a Burmese scholar who studied in Scotland, if I'm not mistaken, around the turn of the century, last century, he described it as the zero point between the extremes, such as greed and hatred or craving and aversion. Now, this uh, neutrality of mind, and that's the term it's given uh, as a you know, mental factor in the you know, Abhidhamma, has you know, the following, you know, or you know, should be you know, understood in the following way you know, from an Abhidhamma you know, point of view. Namely, neutrality of mind is one of uh, the 25 beautiful you know, mental factors, the so-called Sobhana Chetasika, and you know, to be more specific, it is one of uh, the 19 universal you know, beautiful mental factors. And in a moment or two, I'll give you, you know, the list of uh, you know, those uh, 19. And the interesting point is uh, that it arises only in wholesome consciousness and not in unwholesome or you know, functional you know, consciousness. There's a total of 59 kinds of wholesome consciousness, and so whenever you know, you know, those are present, you know, then uh, equanimity will be uh, there. Now, when it says you know, that it arises only you know, together with the 19 or with the 18 other universal beautiful mental factors, then from these we can conclude that when equanimity is there, it's well, it's not accompanied by unwholesome mental states, and. This then means it's not present in while the hindrances are not working. But it arises only when a meditator has overcome the hindrances. Now, when you think of your own meditation practice, um, when experiencing the third, the insight knowledge, and in particular, 
that phase in the practice when you know, dukkhaness or unsatisfactoriness was predominant, at that point, you know, well, you, know, you did certain, or you re-experienced you know, the hindrances in the form of sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. So at that point, equanimity was not there. And Satna then as the practice developed further and Anatta came into the foreground and with this then some more wholesome mental states took root in the mind. With this then gradually the situation changed. And and then uh, this equanimity, does it arise right away as uh, you know, the first or second imperfection of insight? Hmm? It does not. And so it's listed as the ninth imperfection and indeed uh, this position given to it in, in, in the listing uh, is or very much corresponds to what actually happens in the meditation practice. So usually meditators you know, experience uh, you know, well, you know, illumination and so, you know, then oftentimes certain you know, joy and tranquility and happiness and so on and so, you know, then only have, after having experienced all of these does equanimity come to the foreground and by that time a meditator you know, will you know, clearly have understood you know, the dangers of craving, uh, pride and conceit in uh, uh, wrong view so when equanimity is there uh, then you know, those uh, three dangers are most likely uh, going to be absent. Now, the 18 other wholesome, positive, beautiful, universal, beautiful mental, uh, mental factors are you know, faith you know, as the first one, mindfulness as you know, the second one, then as number three and four, you know, shame, this is moral shame, and uh, moral fear of you know, wrongdoing, hiri and otapa in the Pani scripture language, and uh, then we have non-greed, which manifests in the mind as certain uh, detachment, so not being actually, it would be better to you know, say as uh, uh, non-attachment, and uh, then non-hatred, which manifests as uh, agreeableness, and uh, and then as number eight, neutrality is number seven, and uh, tranquility is number eight and nine. And Satna, then the lightness that we've discussed is number ten and eleven. Malleability is number twelve and thirteen. And then wieldiness is number fourteen and fifteen. And Satna, then we have proficiency as number sixteen and seventeen, and rectitude as eighteen and nineteen. So, it is in the context of these you know, mental states you know, that uh, equanimity uh, arises. Now, this then means that um, for, uh, or as a, as, a, as a meditator at home or during daily life, when the practice isn't all that advanced, will it be easy to develop equanimity? Let's say in the face of some you know, difficulty, it will not be that easy. However, one can you know, try. Now, 
this neutrality of mind to non-meditators or beginning meditators is a mental state that is not easy, easily understood. And the reason simply lies in the fact that it barely shows. And However, you know, during intensive practice, it certainly gradually then uh, you know, arises and comes to you know, prominence. And with this, the meditator gains uh, a certain uh, understanding of it, certainly gains uh, uh, or, or tastes it, it tastes it in uh, in a way. Now, this neutrality of mind or balance of mind uh, represents a state of strong mental health. And it is a mind that is not affected by the ups and downs of life. And we can... we could certainly define mental health as absence of uh, some mental illness and secondly as certain presence of or we can say absence of unwholesome mental states and positively express presence of wholesome mental states such as faith and mindfulness and the others that were mentioned so equanimity then clearly forms or is part of what is known as positive psychology so positive qualities like happiness like compassion, empathy and so on come under positive psychology and so when there is an absence of balance of mind, then this means certain mental states will be present in excess or there may be a deficiency of this or another mental state. And this then may cause certain difficulties not only in one's meditation practice but also outside of uh, meditation. Now how then do we experience certain equanimity in the meditation itself? Yesterday we covered the last imperfections and equanimity was the second last one to be mentioned and it was given as two things namely equanimity in insight Dhatra Majatata which is the same thing as that neutrality of mind and then what next? Awajana Upika is equanimity in what? In jhana. In jhana. No, 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 we didn't speak about jhanas yesterday. (laughs) Equanimity in advertence, advertence to the object. And so, so that's one or two aspects how a meditator might certainly experience equanimity. And 
so just to repeat, equanimity and insight you know, is neutrality towards objects. One is no longer um, swayed by them. One is one no longer gets fascinated by you know, some you know, object that arises. You know, simply because one has observed it already uh, thousands if not more times just to think of your wandering mind now well at the beginning at the beginning of the of a retreat wandering mind certainly usually you know, is still you know, a somewhat fascinating object you know, to most uh, the meditators however after maybe 10 days or 15 days of intensive practice you know, will you still be you know, you know, too interested or fascinated with wandering mind? Not really. At least less. Now, the Visuddhi Magga, no, you know, the Patisambhida Magga, the path of discrimination, but uh, also, um, and based on, you know, based on this, you know, the you know, Visuddhi Magga, the path of purification, you know, speaks of ten kinds of equanimity uh, that uh, occur in uh, various kinds of, uh, uh, well, meditation or forms of meditation, or in, in the meditation practice. So among you know, them, we have... Uh, um, what is known as Chalang Upeka, six-factored equanimity. And then there is equanimity as a divine abiding, Brahma Vihara Upeka. Then we have equanimity as enlightenment factor, Bhajan Upeka. Then we have equanimity as uh, no, equanimity of energy, Viri Upeka, and. And then there is equanimity about formation, Sanko Upeka. And then there is equanimity as neutrality of mind, and that's the mental state or mental factor of uh, equanimity. And then you know, we have equanimity of jhana, and then equanimity of purification, and you know, then equanimity as a feeling, and equanimity about insight. Now, tonight we won't have the time you know, to go into all of uh, those, and we'll just cover you know, a few of them, the relevant ones. Now, first of all, let's take uh, a closer look at the Statra Majatata, namely equanimity as neutrality of mind. And it's certain characteristic is certain that certain of uh, uh, conveying consciousness and mental states evenly. So consciousness being one aspect of the mind and certain then you know, the totality of certain mental factors being you know, the second part or second component of the mind, these two are well you know, balanced, you know, balanced, uh, well you know, uh, arranged. And when, and please do understand that this is not always the case. So if you have one unwholesome mental state, like anger, you know, being really high, really predominant, this will mess up the entire mental, uh, uh, mental uh, composition. And so. Uh, 
And this thing you know, will also have an effect on the body, as you know by now. You know, namely, you know, the body will tense up, and uh, you know, you know, then um, once the uh, heart uh, might uh, you know, start uh, you know, pulsing, you know, strongly throbbing, and uh, you know, then uh, one's face uh, you know, may tense up and uh, you know, flush, and uh, you know, the you know, hands may form uh, into to uh, a feast. And so, you know, when equanimity is not present, uh, like in one of the higher insight knowledges, the tenth insight knowledge, namely that of, uh, uh, of re-observation, the mind is rather, um, rather uh, well, out of whack, um, not centered. And sometimes going to one extreme, and at other times going to another extreme. And extremes in different ways, in terms of unwholesome mental states, or sometimes in a wholesome mental state and an unwholesome mental state, or even in terms of primary elements, and like movements of the body versus stillness of the body. So what this thing does is you know, that the body is uh, very unstable. And so, you know, the um, illustration for this particular you know, state of a uh, you know, meditator, both physical as well as uh, the mental, is that of a top. You all know a child's toy known as something top. And so you give it a spin, you give it something, some momentum, and then it will nicely rotate and be rather firm and stable. However, once that top loses its momentum, then what happens? Then it wobbles. There you go. Then it will it will wobble more and more until finally you know, the you know, top falls over. And so, so in the knowledge of observation, it's um, kind of the um, coming the opposite way. The kinetic energy is not strong enough, and in, in the knowledge of the next insight knowledge, the knowledge of re, you know, the knowledge of equanimity about you know, formations, you know, the kinetic energy is uh, really high. And uh, you know, as a result of this, you know, the mind is uh, you know, well you know, arranged, centered, balanced, and the body, you know, and the same thing goes for you know, the body. And so, so that then would uh, correspond to the top, which has uh, uh, a nice momentum to it. But in the case of the knowledge of reobservation, the momentum in one's practice is certainly not sufficient. Sometimes it's good and then at other times it's weak. And so it's a rather unstable situation. And this then manifests physically as well as mentally. Now, the function, the first function, the two functions of um, uh, equanimity is uh, that of preventing excesses or deficiencies uh, of uh, the mind or in the mind. And so the second function is that of preventing partiality. So preventing partiality is with regard to, mostly with regard to people. And so 
And when it comes to the first uh, no, no function uh, of uh, preventing the excess or deficiency, you know, well, as you know, um, sometimes a certain mental state like uh, effort may be excessive, and something this then you know, will lead to restlessness of the body and of the mind and the body. And so, you know, um, under you know, this condition, it's difficult to, to practice. And then at other times, you know, when maybe you know, effort is lacking, you know, one ends up uh, with uh, sluggishness, uh, sloth and torpor. So that's not uh, working either. And so the function of equanimity is you know, to prevent uh, you know, those uh, uh, imbalances. Now, the you know, equanimity manifests as you know, well, as neutrality, or you know, we might say as balance, or as keeping the proper middle. So centeredness is sort of a modern expression you know, that very nicely uh, reflects you know, this uh, aspect. And so the illustration you know, that you know, the Abhidhamma gives for you know, this state of neutrality is you know, that of a charioteer who you know, looks with equanimity uh, at you know, two you know, horses of equal strength and that are pulling uh, some chariot or some vehicle. And so, since both of these horses are uh, of the same strength, so they're pulling you know, with the same strength, and uh, you know, thus, uh, you know, the chariot is moving uh, evenly. Now, when we practice, or when, uh, when, when we practice meditation and certain equanimity arises, now then now we experience it mostly equanimity towards, well, objects that are occurring in the body and in the mind. Um, however, this equanimity may also you know, then find expression you know, towards one's certain fellow beings. And so, you know, there is one particular type of uh, meditation practice you know, during which you know, this aspect you know, then gets intentionally you know, well, developed. And so, this is the practice of the uh, divine abodes, namely the Brahma Viharas, and uh, you know, they consist of uh, the practice of loving kindness, of compassion, karuna, of uh, sympathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity. And so, uh, at that point, you know, we just uh, you know, then you know, use or take this mental quality of uh, or mental state of equanimity or neutrality, and you know, we develop it in particular towards uh, our you know, fellow you know, human beings. And so, you know, under um, or within with the thought or reflection in the mind, and that in the end, all beings are. Uh, the owners or the heirs of their own deeds. So uh, they have to, uh, or they'll reap the results of uh, their bodily, verbal, or uh, mental uh, deeds. And there's nothing you know, we can do about this. This uh, uh, is based on, on 
um, or, or is according to karma, the law of uh, uh, karma and vipaka, so action and uh, result. Now, an illustration that, or before I give you an illustration, when it comes to this certain practice of the Brahma Viharas, then in this context there is equanimity as mentioned, and this kind of equanimity then is known as Brahma Vihar Upeka. And so, uh, when it comes to the first three kinds of you know, divine abodes, namely loving kindness, compassion, and certainly then sympathetic joy, uh, well, some concern is certainly there with the person uh, you know, towards one, you know, directs one's loving kindness, compassion, and sympathetic joy. This concern is, uh, um, is known, concern or exertion is known in Pali as Bhyapara. And so you still, you take a personal kind of uh, interest in you know, the fate of uh, you know, that other uh, person. And so, you know, so you know, there's a certain interest invested and you, know, you feel, you know, so to speak, with you know, the you know, other you know, person. Now, in the case of equanimity, this changes. And the Bhyapara, that certain concern for the other person, drops away and you know, the mind assumes you know, more of a you know, well, calm and neutral state. And you know, the reason for this certainly simply lies in the realization that, uh, uh, well, that others or the other person is, like I said earlier on, you know, the owner of his or her deeds. And there's simply nothing that we can do there. However, um, when one when equanimity arises or intentionally one develops it you know, towards another person after having practiced loving kindness, compassion and sympathetic joy towards this other person, does this mean one throws the other person out of one's heart? Does it mean this? It does not mean this. Yes, correct. And it's, it has to be understood more like in the sense you try your best to accommodate the needs of another person, whatever those needs may be, and so, uh, if all of your good endeavor you know, to help um, doesn't really you know, lead to any positive result, it's at that point that you uh, practice equanimity, uh, equanimity or detachment. And, so, uh, and then you just accept the situation for what it is. You don't want it to be otherwise. And, so, um, but, and you don't lose your loving kindness towards the other person, nor the compassion, nor the sympathetic joy. 
and you're just waiting for maybe conditions to change or for some better time when the other person who's maybe suffering or so is ready to accept your help or advice or whatever. Now, and this is an important aspect, especially in teaching, uh, in teaching others. Now, when giving some advice you know, to another person, like in the context of uh, you know, the meditation practice, the other person may not be ready to hear it. And so, so you may you know, repeat you know, the instruction you know, once and twice and thrice, and the other person just doesn't you know, get it. In this case, you know, it will be best you know, to then, you know, from a teacher's point of view, you know, just assume an attitude of equanimity and so, you know, then you know, just wait. And wait until the person uh, maybe deepens his or her practice some, somewhat more and then uh, has some personal interest in uh, hearing uh, those uh, instructions. And then you know, the advice will fall uh, on um, well, good ground, well-prepared ground. Now, the text they give um, a nice illustration you know, for you know, these four divine abodes. And so, you know, the illustration is as certain follows. A mother, uh, a mother has four daughters. And so, you know, the text says four sons, but so, please notice I've changed to daughters. <laughs> and uh, so, anyways, she has four daughters, a youngest one, an infant, and so, that infant uh, is so, no, well, rather helpless. And so, you know, then the second youngest one is uh, you know, uh, somewhat sick. And so, you know, the third you know, daughter, the th you know, third oldest you know, daughter, uh, or sorry, second oldest daughter, and this one be, is better, um, that daughter is you know, kind of standing on her own you know, feet and manages to get by. And... The oldest daughter uh, is well off, has a good job, and uh, is uh, well respected in, or well taken care of in every sense. Now, the mother towards her infant daughter will have a relationship of loving kindness. And so she will feel much loving kindness towards her infant daughter. And towards her uh, second youngest daughter who is sick uh, and suddenly uh, needs help she will you know, feel um, predominantly compassion wanting to relieve her second uh, youngest uh, daughter of uh, uh, the illness 
And in, in the first case, you know, there is a wish in, in the context of Meta, she will wish for the welfare and happiness of uh, you know, the, uh, the youngest daughter. Now, as for the second oldest you know, daughter, who is uh, you know, someone uh, you know, somewhat independent, you know, the mother rejoices in her daughter's independence and ability to you know, get by. And with regard to her oldest daughter, she knows all that daughter, she knows how to get by in this world, and she's well established in society, has a good job and family and so on. So there's no need to be concerned at all. And so, so towards her, the mother assumes an attitude of equanimity. So it's not that she's you know, thrown you know, the oldest daughter out of her heart. It's just you know, conditions are such that she doesn't have to be concerned. She doesn't have to worry uh, about you know, the oldest daughter. Now... This equanimity, in particular in its form of uh, uh, neutrality of mind, um, is a quality that is most developed, best developed in what kind of, uh, what class of uh, people? Who knows? If we accept the Buddha, then... Meditators, no, we have to go, well, for meditators, yes. Um, meditating arahants. <laughs> so, uh, so as, as a meditator, sooner or later, if one is very lucky, one turns into an arahant, and as an arahant, equanimity is said to be most developed. And we'll go into that in, in a few moments. Uh, under a different form of well, an equanimity that goes by a different name. Now, uh, of course, we're not all arahants yet. And so, you know, this takes uh, a lot of, or may take a lot of practice. And so, um, then, in those noble ones who are not arahants, so the anagamis and uh, you know, then the you know, once returners and the stream enters, equanimity is said to be present to some extent, however, of course, not fully. And in you know, meditators who have not yet gained such stream entry, equanimity will you know, be even you know, weaker. And now comes the important part. And so, um, as we'll see, um, well, mindful, as we've seen already, uh, equanimity is accompanied by wholesome mental states. 
and uh, wholesome mental states arise uh, um, mostly you know, yeah, arise mostly in connection with uh, the wisdom so wisdom needs to be you know, there wisdom needs to be there mindfulness needs to be there and certainly the hindrances need to be uh, absent you know, so a certain amount of practice you know, is necessary in order and uh, to uh, experience uh, this certain uh, equanimity um, uh, towards uh, or, or equanimity in the form of uh, neutrality. Now, the last form of certain uh, equanimity we'll uh, talk about uh, tonight is uh, that of Chalang uh, Upeka. Chalang Upeka means it's a Pani compound term that consists of uh, three parts, namely Cha, which means certainly uh, six, Anga means factor, and uh, factor or limb, and or part, and uh, then Upeka means equanimity. So it's the six factored equanimity. And this six-factored equanimity is so-called because it refers to, or equanimity is present with regard to what? Yes, indeed. The senses, and we have how many senses? Six senses. So uh, it's uh, valid with regard to the six senses, six sense doors. And um, in the case of an arahant, whatever he or she may be seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking, you know, there is uh, equanimity. And so, even if one, if an arahant certainly sees the most undesirable object, he or she you know, will not react to this. Or even if an arahant certainly sees a highly desirable object, the person you know, will not certainly get carried away by it or then get elated by it. Now, um, to achieve you know, the state of total uh, equanimity with regard to all of the six sense doors you know, takes uh, a lot of practice. And so, um, however, in the 11th insight knowledge, namely the knowledge of uh, equanimity about formations, at least we get a taste of what this uh, means. And so it is during this particular phase in the meditation practice where equanimity you know, gets gradually stronger and stronger and stronger, and so, you know, then no matter what you know, object one comes across at the six sense doors, the mind remains relatively uh, equanimous. It's not a perfect state, though, you know, and so there are ups and downs to it. So sometimes you know, the equanimity is there, and at other times, uh, uh, kind of. Uh, the momentum uh, is lost. So, when unwholesome mental states are present in the mind, then the mind tends to you know, take an uneven outlook on you know, formations. Asamakana is the Pali term you know, for this. Now, 
the state that's uh, you know, the way equanimity is uh, described in the text uh, is as follows namely upeka kocha viharati sampajano which means he or she dwells in equanimity mindful and clearly you know, comprehending and uh, this statement from the Anguttara Nikaya 3, 279, uh, then gets further explained as Chakuna Rupam Diswa Neva Sumano Ho to Na Dumano Upekako Viharati Sato Sampajano. Now the meaning of this is here or or in on seeing an object, one is neither glad nor sad, and oh, sorry, on seeing an object with the eyes, one is neither glad nor sad, one dwells in equanimity, mindful and clearly you know, comprehending. Now, uh, a reference is here to you know, the eyes, but of course the same thing you know, then also goes you know, for you know, hearing objects and uh, with the ears and so on. And so, so when it comes you know, to you know, dwelling with equanimity, it requires, you know, according to you know, this you know, statement from the Anguja Nikaya, it requires the presence of mindfulness and certain clear comprehension. And so it is for this reason that when a meditator, you know, meditator's practice moves into the higher insight knowledge, knowledges you know, that the instruction during the interviews has to be given, you know, continued or try to even further improve the quality of your mindfulness and in particular the continuity uh, of it. Sometimes meditators uh, think, you know, when the equanimity starts uh, arising, that they can you know, kind of slacken off and take it easy. Not so at all. And so the even greater mindfulness and restraint of you know, the senses is uh, necessary. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita likes to you know, point, you know, point out that you know, when equanimity is present in you know, one's uh, the mind, and then you know, with this one gains uh, what he calls uh, spiritual stamina or spiritual resilience or resistance. And this statement is quite correct. Uh, a person in whom equanimity is well established in the mind, you know, in such a person, you know, difficulties you know, will not uh, have any or leave any impact. So even if someone comes and abuses you, it doesn't really matter. The mind is simply not uh, getting upset about uh, anything. Um, now, the 
the Sutta Satnana give another helpful uh, qualification with regard to, to you know, this equanimity. And there, you know, the Pali expression is the Dibhava Guna. Guna means virtue or quality. Bhava means the state. And the Di is kind of the natural you know, state. So it's, it's the virtue or the quality of the natural state. And this then has to be understood with regard to the objects that one uh, is experiencing. So, whatever object comes along, one just accepts it um, as it is in its natural state. So, um, comes some person, and so, you know, the person is certainly maybe uh, rather positive. We accept him or her as she is. Comes some other person who is certainly maybe you know, for the time being is somewhat negative, and so again we accept the person you know, just as he or she uh, might certainly be. We don't try to, when equanimity is present, we don't try to to, change the situation in any way, and so we just uh, accommodate it and uh, live with it. Now, let me conclude today's or tonight's Dhamma talk on some aspects of uh, equanimity. There would be so much more to say, but we don't have the time. And by wishing that with the help of mindfulness and certainly clear comprehension and also well-established in virtue and training in concentration may much, much equanimity arise in your meditation practice and first as equanimity as an imperfection of insight but then later on may this equanimity then get stronger and stronger may turn into you know, also equanimity about formations and certainly finally you know, may it help and contribute you know, to you know, the attainment of the crossing over and certainly the attainment of the peace of uh, Nibbana and may this uh, happen during this very retreat and this is it for tonight Now, let's hear your questions, if there are any. Yes, Jeff. No, 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 no. Um, in essence, you know, developing equanimity in the meditation practice and certain developing uh, equanimity as a Brahma Vihara is amounts to the same thing. It's this uh, same mental state that lies behind it, you know, namely uh, neutrality of mind, tatra, uh, tatra majatata. 
So uh, doing, let's say, doing the Vipassana practice and uh, uh, developing equanimity will help for the Brahma Vihara practice. And uh, vice versa, uh, developing equanimity as a Brahma Vihara uh, or form uh, Brahma Vihara practice, uh, this uh, will help uh, uh, for uh, the development of equanimity as part of the insight meditation. So it's basically the same, it's just uh, when it comes to the Brahma Viharas, it's directed towards uh, one's fellow beings. And so one assumes an an impartial uh, attitude. And without, uh, without any preferences, and so, you know, of course, in you know, society, there's uh, uh, much there. Um, there's a lot of partiality towards uh, uh, human beings. We uh, divide them and group them in all sorts of ways. Now, anything else? Yes, in the back. Um, I have two questions. One is, I kind of lost the thread when we were talking about the knowledge and the kinetic energy. Uh, no, 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 not the ninth, the tenth. No, 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 no. That's uh, just a uh, uh, kind of a, a mix of uh, different equanimities, uh, you know, forms of equanimity you know, that exist, but uh, you know, they definitely, you know, there's no, no sequential development there. No, it's uh, some of them. Some of them are totally different in nature. You know, like viri upeka is equanimity of uh, the effort, and so, you know, the essence of this is uh, this effort and is a balance of effort. No, it's less about equanimity. It's more about effort. No. So um, now, as for your first uh, question, um, let's see. I try to you know, take you know, this illustration and you know, correlate it to the you know, illustration of the top uh, and you know, then correlate this to you know, two insight knowledges, namely number 10 and number 11. So you know, the 10th insight knowledge is that uh, of re-observation. And so at that point in one's meditation practice, Yes, yes, re-observation of formations. And uh, so at that point in one's meditation practice, you know, things are still um, going, or the practice is somewhat all over the place. No? So it's rather unsteady practice. So the illustration for this is the, uh, is the top that does not have uh, uh, much uh, kinetic momentum. So the, the top that is wobbling, and uh, you know, the illustration for the eleventh insight knowledge, which is the knowledge of equanimity bound formations, uh, is uh, that of uh, you know, the top that has plenty of kinetic momentum and uh, you know, is spinning nicely and uh, very stable, very firm. So, are you clear now? Clear enough. So no point, not, not really 100% clear though. 
And the problem with, there is a certain mismatch you know, with the illustration of the two inside knowledges. Um, I see for the top it goes it works the other way around first it has maximum kinetic uh, momentum and thus it's uh, it's not wobbling uh, but then later on it starts wobbling as it's lose as it loses its uh, momentum but when it comes to you know the vipassana practice uh, it's the it's vice versa it's the different it uh, works in a different uh, direction so uh, it's a development from you know, uh, not sufficient momentum in one's practice to you know, you know, to a sufficient level of momentum. Yes, yes, in the back. Uh, when the Buddha uh, left his home, yes, and uh, his wife and his children, yes, uh, he must have been blamed. I know you spoke earlier. In the earlier in your talk this evening about yeah. blame. Yes, right. How did he deal with uh, being blamed? Oh, oh, this is a good, certainly a good point. Um, I guess at first, um, at first he. Um, he justified it uh, you know, uh, for himself you know, that he was uh, um, uh, well you know, going in search you know, of uh, some um, you know some highly highly valuable thing or very you know, very important an issue and um, also you know, knowing very well you know, that so from a you know, pragmatic or mundane point of view his wife and uh, his uh, newly born son Rahula were well taken care of no? so they were living in a palace royal uh, uh, palace in um, oh, uh, Prince Siddhartha's parents uh, were you know, there to uh, take care of uh, his uh, wife and uh, son and, uh, so that's uh, one point and um, and he then you know, later on uh, he he did get and he got some invited you know, to come back you know, to you know, the royal palace in Kapila Watu, um, which is not too far from Lumbini in Nepal, and uh, then. And then he followed uh, this invitation, and uh, then, um, well, he well he taught Dhamma, and thus gradually managed to convince many of his of his relatives. And now let me see. Yes, and so so his wife, uh, his wife did blame him. And then I'm not actually I'm not quite sure how he responded to this. Um, 
but his relatives, a number of his certain relatives, like his uh, um, what was it, his stepmother, stepmother, Mahaprajapati, you know, she you know, was you know, the first you know, to become a nun uh, under you know, under the Buddha. So. It's basically, you know, the Buddha, you know, responded certainly you know, just in a in a dhamma way, and certainly then gradually you know, convincing uh, his certain you know, relatives, including his own father, um, you know, and convincing them of uh, of the dhamma and uh, thus uh, solving it. In the case of um, of uh, Rahula, his son, um, you know, the Buddha's response was that he asked Rahula to claim his heritage. Oh, wait a minute, what was it? No, I think it was it was the mother, Yasodhara, who no, no, who asked Rahula to to go to the Buddha and claim his heritage, and so again the you know, the Buddha you know, um, well um, interpreted the, the thing in a dhamma dhammic way, and so, you know, then he said well. If you want to come and claim the, you know, your heritage, then it's the Dhamma. And so he then um, uh, initiated uh, Rahula uh, in, as, a, as a novice. And, uh, and so Rahula then you know, later on, uh, he stayed uh, you know, he stayed with uh, with the Sangha in certain several you know, discourses. You know, the Buddha gave to Rahula, which are still you know, recorded. And uh, I'm not quite sure whether I'm answering your question really well, but that's as best as I can. It's definitely not that the Buddha would certainly get upset about certainly being blamed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.